Appreciate that when Pastor Evan leads us in those verses. It's, it's neat to just grab a verse and sing a verse and respond in song to these words of thanksgiving. I pray that uh, you sung those truly from your heart, and it truly is our confession today. I want to thank uh, Rick and Sonia Mann and Braden and Sophia for doing such a good job for us this morning. Great to have them a part of our church, and Pastor Barbara, who always does such a nice job leading out in the various things she does. So a little different today. We're no longer in the Daniel series. We've been in that a long time, haven't we? Yeah, so the banners are gone. And this is kind of the one in between week. And next week you'll come in here and it'll all be decorated beautifully for Christmas. So we look forward to that. That's something that... uh, that uh, Evan's wife, Jan, does uh, the major portion of that. He helps out with that, and they get this, this place looking beautiful. So we look forward to that next Sabbath. And uh, another change next Sabbath, in the event you've kind of gotten into routine or into a rut, if you will, uh, this is actually, if you're keeping track, and I'm sure most of you are scoring at home, but uh, this is the 17th week in a row I've been the speaker so you all need a break, and that's the truth. So, yeah. So next Sabbath, Pastor Steve is going to speak. And then the Sabbath after that, Pastor Delwin's going to be the speaker. And that's also the week that uh, Forest Lake Academy comes and does music for us. So that's a very special Sabbath. That's the 12th. And then the 19th is our special church Uh, festival Sabbath with the choir and everything, so that's a big day. And then the 26th, being the day after Christmas, we'll have some some more fun left over for that day as well. So next four weeks are going to be a good time, and I hope if you're in the area, you'll be able to be here and be a part of the service. If not, you know where to find us. Just go right online, and we'll be there. So, all right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this season of thanksgiving, and we pray, Lord, that you will speak to us, that we might be the kind of people that produce thanks in others. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today, the, the kind of people who bring out thanks in others, and specifically, I want to talk about it by telling you a story of something that happened to me and a story about a person who made me thankful on what otherwise was an extremely difficult day. And just to give us context here, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. All right, well, the story I'm going to tell you is not necessarily about angels, but it is about people who to this day are extremely grateful and extremely thankful. It was early summer. I think the year was about 2009. I don't remember for sure, but I think that was the year. Ariel was about three years old, and Aaron, I think he was seven. He was about to turn eight. Nathan was 11, and Gable was 12. 
And so it's early summer, and Alicia was working on something that day. I don't remember exactly what it was, but you may have been preparing for your trip to Australia, but I can't remember what it was. But so she was doing something. So I was going to take the kids, and we were going to have an outing with dad, a trip with dad. Now, you have to understand, trips with dad are different fundamentally from trips with mom. (laughs) Trips with mom always are accompanied by supplies and resources and reserves. (laughs) Trips with dad tend to be, let's go, let's go, let's go. And if they don't wear shoes, hey, that's not my problem, but we're in the car. (laughs) And we did all have shoes this time, so that's good. So we're in the car. We had a Toyota Sienna minivan, because that's just how we rolled back then. So we had a nice little minivan. And I was driving, Nathan was sitting next to me in the passenger seat, right behind him was Ariel, behind me was Gable, and then we left the back space for Aaron to kind of roam freely. It was safer for everyone that way. So he had that back row all to himself. And we set out, in our, it was a big adventure, we were going to the Flint River. Now, the Flint River is a river that the, really the headwaters are right in the area of the Atlanta airport. So if you've ever flown into Atlanta, which everyone on earth has, then you know where that river starts. It starts there and it flows straight south. And it's really kind of unique for a number of reasons. One being it's one of the only rivers in all of the south that doesn't have a dam on it somewhere. So it actually is a free-flowing river. Flows through some very beautiful country you wouldn't even know was there. And there's another thing about the Flint River that makes it very attractive to me. You see, there's a, it's actually warmer water. It's not like a cold mountain stream, but there is a species of bass that lives in the Flint River. It's called the shoal bass. It's a little different from a lot of the others, and it actually behaves very much like a trout. And being that I like to fly fish, That's a great place to go to fly fish where the water's not so cold and it's kind of fun to do. So so we were going down there. We had the fishing poles in the car. We're going to go down there to the river and I was going to try to fish a little bit. Well, that was maybe a little optimistic on my part because turns out you got to kind of keep an eye on a three-year-old when you're at the river. So I I don't know why I didn't think of that before, but... So we're at the river, and we fished a little. The boys had their poles there. They fished a little, but, but since we weren't just pulling fish out easily, they decided it would be way more fun to swim. Now, you'll recall this was a trip with Dad, not a trip with Mom. If this had been a trip with Mom, we'd have had a change of clothes, and we'd have brought our swimming suits, and we would have had everything we needed. <laughs> but this was a trip with Dad, so we just had the outfit we came in. And they went swimming, and they had a big time, splashing around swimming. We must have stayed there about two and a half hours, maybe close to three hours, and they're swimming and having fun. We're having a big time, and, and then, then it kind of got cloudy, and it was like a thunderstorm was moving in a little bit, so we thought, well, maybe we better head out. Maybe we better go, and so we're piling everybody up. We get everything. We come back to the van, and I'm looking at these filthy children. And I'm looking at the reasonably clean van. And I said, well, boys, you're going to have to take off your pants because that's just not going to work. Well, okay, they they were a little uncomfortable, but they're young enough, it wasn't too bad. So they got in and we put towels down on the seats and they all got in and, and sat in the same places where they were. And I got Ariel all up in her chair. 
Now, one of the neat things about traveling with young children is, you know this, that if you've been doing things and active and having fun, they're tired when you get back in the car, and as soon as the car gets going, they fall asleep really quickly. However, if something should occur that wakes them up, plan on being miserable for the next hour and a half. So we get in the car, we get everybody in there, we start up, we head up out of the ravine where the river is, and we're heading back up to the, to the surrounding lands, and we're headed back. We're in the area of Thomaston, Georgia, if you've ever been there. And from where we lived in Marietta, it was a good two-hour drive getting there. So I was pushing my luck already, but we got them down there, and now I've got them worn out, and I figure everybody's probably going to sleep, and we'll be able to make the drive back home. So we're coming up out of there, and there were two ways to go. You know how often life, it comes to that fork in the road, and, and which one you choose makes a big difference. Well, I decided to take the one to the left because it's slightly shorter, and so we were going to go across the road to the left, and we're driving along, and I'm suspecting that Ariel has fallen asleep. Well, it was just about this time. We were coming up on an intersection. I was, I was driving behind a pickup truck. He was in front of me, and we were coming along behind him. And right about this moment, at this intersection, it, it went straight, and a road came in from the side, and there was a gas station sitting on the corner right here. Well, this was during that time when the price of gas was just plain shocking. And as I was driving, I saw the sign for the price of gas. And it was so high, I just stared at it incredulously. Hard to believe gas could actually cost that much. And we're coming along, going along nicely. And it was right at that moment that Nathan said from the seat next to me, Dad, I'm hungry. Okay, if this had been a trip with Mom, we would have had a little basket in the front with all manner of healthy snacks wrapped up very nicely in plastic bags and all sorts of things. I'd have been handing out carrot sticks and hummus and all kinds of stuff. But this was a trip with dad. So there was nothing like snacks in the car. Forget about water. Should have drunk that at the river. So so here we are. So Nathan says, I'm hungry. And I had thought about this possibility coming up. And I thought maybe I could go somewhere and get them some food. But I thought, it's risky because I think Ariel's asleep. So I'm looking at the gas station. Nate says I'm hungry. I glance across and yeah, that pickup truck's still in front of me. And I look back and there's Ariel and she's asleep. And so I said to Nathan, Ariel's asleep. And I turned back around. And it turns out that whole time, that truck wasn't even moving. He was, in fact, stopped at the intersection, getting ready to turn left, waiting on traffic. Now, there was no chance to stop. But there was enough time for me to say, sorry, boys, I wrecked the car. I don't know why I thought that would help, but that's what came to my mind in that moment. I had enough time to make that rather plain statement got their attention pretty good. And the next thing, boom, right into the back of the truck. You see, I'd run over the options in my mind. I couldn't swerve left because that was the reason he wasn't turning. There were cars coming. 
I couldn't swerve right because this was a section where the houses were close to the road and there was a fence just right there next to the road. So I thought, well, I guess we'll just square up and hit him solid. So we did. Boom. Have you ever had an accident like that? Everything just shuts down. All you hear afterward, after this horrible crashing sound, is the sound of hissing and steam and things like that. It was a double airbag deployment event. And something I didn't know, that air in the airbag, that's hot. Did you know that? I had my hands on the side of the wheel. I guess I was bracing myself and and the air vented out on my hand, kind of burned my hand a little bit. I was surprised about that. So there you go. That's your safety pointer for today. But uh, double airbag deployment, crashed head on, the whole front end of the car, just completely messed up. And now we're in shock. What just happened? All right, so I'm, I'm trying to pull my head together, and Gable's already on the job. He's checking on everybody, making sure everybody's okay. Oldest brother, stepping into the gap, checking on brothers and sisters. It looked like everybody was all right. Aaron had taken a little bouncing down onto the floor, but, but he was going to be all right. Uh, Arielle was in her chair. She was sobbing a little bit, but not crying like she was hurt. And Gable and Nathan both seemed okay. And it was right at that moment that the first instant of the graciousness of strangers happened. And that was that suddenly the door where Ariel was sitting opened up and a very kind lady put her head in and began to console Ariel. This was a lady who lived in one of those houses right there next to the road and had heard what had happened and came running to see what was going on and heard a child crying and immediately ran to the door and opened it up. And after checking with me, I said, yeah, sure. And so she took Ariel and held her in her arms and comforted her there on the side of the road. So I'm starting to get my head together now and I'm not hurt and we're going to be okay. And so I, I turned to the boys and I said, all right, boys, we need to get out of the car. And I was quite annoyed when they just stared at me. And it was then I remembered, they don't have pants on. They were not eager at all to get out of the car. Like I said, this was a trip with dad, not with mom. But they finally did. Gable, I think, actually dutifully got out of the car and and then put his pants back on outside of the car. Nathan, I don't think, ever put his pants back on. He just wrapped up in a towel and stood outside in a towel. And I can't remember for sure what Aaron did, but somehow I got him out of the car, and he was reasonably dressed, I think. And I took Ariel back, and I was holding Ariel, and now the authorities are there, and And the policeman has kindly issued me my citation for following too closely from behind. Technically, I wasn't following from behind. I was just plowing right in. So that's, (laughs) I should have appealed that. But so, so we got everybody out beside the side of the road and we looked pitiful. The car's not going anywhere. None of us had to go to the hospital. And, and the gentleman driving the pickup truck, he's out there with us. He's, he's got some kind of a bump on his leg that's kind of swelling up a little bit. But in general, he's okay. But he can't drive his car and we can't drive our car. And I'm thinking, wow, two and a half hours from home. Standing on the side of the road. It's drizzling a little. Everybody's wet. Nowhere to go. I felt pretty sad. 
looked pretty sad. The policeman came up to me and said, after they'd towed the car away, he said, well, I, have you got a hold of anybody? And yeah, I had. I'd gotten a hold of Alicia, but it was going to be two and a half hours before she could get there to get us. And he said, well, I, I could take you over to the main road. I could, you know, take you to McDonald's or maybe leave you at Walmart or something. And I thought, well, that's our fate, I guess. Well, it was about this time that the wife of the gentleman into whom I crashed arrived to pick up her husband because he couldn't get home now either. And I'm sure she kind of came in thinking, what kind of an idiot drives right straight into the back of our car? I mean, how could you not think that? Because that's exactly what I had done. But somehow when, we, when she arrived... The sight of us standing there beside the road was such a pitiful sight (laughs) that suddenly this wave of compassion came over her. And she immediately began saying, oh, is everybody okay? Is everybody all right? And checking out on everybody and looking at her. And here's her husband. He's got this wounded leg. And she's like, please wait your turn. (laughs) She's checking us out. And when she heard what our options were and where we were likely going to end up going, she said, oh no, that's not acceptable. She said, you must come to our house and wait until your wife gets here. But there was one problem with that plan. I had just ruined their big car. All they had was a smaller one. And it wouldn't fit us all in there at the same time. So she said to her husband, You wait here. (laughs) And I waited with him with Ariel, and the three boys got into the other three seats of her car and headed off to their home about 10 minutes away. I'm not going to lie to you, it was a little awkward (laughs) standing there with the guy you just crashed into, whose wife has just left him standing there to take your children. But somehow we got through that 10 minutes and then it was 20 minutes and then it was 30 minutes before she finally got back. She picked us up, we got in the car, we also traveled over to her house and when I got out at her house, I discovered why she had been gone so long. When she got to the house, she immediately went in and found dry clothes for all the kids, got them dressed in those clothes got them some food and fed it to them and set them down in front of the television so that they would be entertained. And then came back to pick up me and Ariel. And oh yeah, her husband also, he got to go. (laughs) Such amazing grace and mercy. After a couple hours, Alicia showed up And they invited her in and talked to her for a long time. And and then we were going to go home and we all headed to the car, but they couldn't just let invited guests leave like that. So she brought out and gave us, what was it? It was was like homemade pickles and and what else? He made the pickles. So so they sent us off with lovely parting gifts as well. Now, there's two points I want you to take from this story today. The first is a what, what we need to do. 
The second is a why. But let's start with the what. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What a light this family was to us that day. And we have many, many times glorified the Father in heaven for the love that came through them to us in our hour of need. I was so thankful for the kindness and the love they showed. And remember, this is total undeserved love. What I deserved was him jumping in the car and both of them cursing at me as they drove away. Because I was wrong. I made the mistake. I wrecked their best car. Yet they showed me love. That's pure grace. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is what it means to live the gospel. The love of God was in this family, and they lived the gospel in a real way. They saw us in need. They took pity on us. And they loved with actions and truth. Whenever we in our lives love, not just with our words and with our speech, but in actions and in truth, whenever we do that, someone is blessed. And our Father in heaven is glorified every time we act in love. Even if the one we show love and mercy to is not themselves able to praise the Father, still the Father is glorified. So this is what we need to do if the love of God is in us. We need to love not just with words and speech, but with actions and truth. Why do we do this? 1 John 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The grace I received that day, the grace my family received that day, is, I believe, a powerful illustration of God's grace to us through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. When did this grace of God come to us? 
Did the grace of God come to us when we finally had everything together and we finally deserved it? God then said, well, I guess I'll show you grace since you really deserve it. Is that when it happened? Or was it when we were standing helpless beside the road, dripping wet, partially clothed, and guilty of causing our own crisis. And who was it that had mercy on us? Was it not, in fact, the very one against whom we had done wrong? Romans 5, verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I was shown in a tangible way what the gospel story means. The very people that I had wronged showed me grace and mercy. And not just in that they said, you know what, let it go, don't worry about it, and got in their car and left. That would be loving in word. But they added to it loving indeed. They took us into their home. They clothed us. They fed us. And they sent us out with goodwill. This is the gospel. So I tell you, be thankful. For God has been good to us. And be a blessing. Like those who are a blessing to us in our hour of need. Be a blessing and make someone thankful to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the people who showed me and my family love and kindness in an hour that we deserved from them rather a curse and an accusation. Because this is a demonstration of what Jesus has done for us. We who rebelled and turned away from God, we who so often shake our angry fist in his face, while we are still sinners, sent Jesus to die. Jesus who bore our sins and carried our sorrows has shown us grace. And he has clothed us and he has fed us. And he sends us on our way in peace. Jesus, we turn to you. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.